Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Welcome back for our last conversation. Um, we are looking at episode eight today. So it's our last conversation about season one. And I will eventually do season two, but I think I'm going to wait for the season to be over so um, so that we can do it in a similar way with covering all the episodes kind of, you know, straight through. Um, I may end up doing it at a different time, but I'm probably going to wait for season two to be finished um, and so that I can watch it eight times before we try to do this. No, I'm just kidding. I will not watch it eight times. Well, I probably will, but not before doing this. So I'm catching up on some of your comments. I threw um, a little question, which I think I should have done every time, but you know, eighth time's the charm to think about it. Um, I threw up a little question in ch live chat and I, we'll talk about it in a minute, but I was wondering if you all thought that Nicodemus changed his mind. Um, and so just to kind of clarify that, not that he um, ended up following Christ, you know, because we see that poignant scene where he doesn't follow Christ. But do you think at the beginning of the episode he was going to and then he changed his mind in the middle of the episode? Um, and I will explain what I think but I was interested um, in what you all think. So let's start with prayer. And then um, I have a friend that texts me like every time during live stream and it's hilarious. It's like, he doesn't even realize he's doing it. Um, so let's start with prayer and I'm gonna catch up on your thoughts in the chat, but also go ahead and if you have other questions or comments, throw them in the chat because this is a conversation. And that's important. So let's start with prayer and then we will jump into episode eight. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so let's jump into episode eight. Uh, this is one of my favorites I've mentioned before, and I think there's a lot to discuss. So we're going to jump right in. Um, I'm going to read your comments really fast. Um, so Wendy thinks, yes, he did change his mind. Christina, um, devastated. I agree. Brandy says he totally did. I love that. Christina, leftover thought from yesterday. Matthew's dog reminds me of Tobias's dog. Um, yes, and you're right. Dallas wouldn't know about Tobias's dog. Um, that is a great story. If you haven't read the book of Tobit, you should read the book of Tobit. And um, there's this really great line where Tobias is going on this journey and his dog went with him. And it's a fun little quote. And Jews traditionally did not have dogs as pets, which explains kind of his parents' reluctance to have this dog. Um, and that's a great scene today in episode eight when... Um, you know, Gaius takes the dog to his parents, but you're right. That would, that's a fun little hat tip to, to Tobit and Tobias that Dallas doesn't even know. Um, okay. So Christina doesn't think officially that's interesting. And Jackie, yes and no. Okay. So we're, we're, we're thinking about Nicodemus, which is, which is great. So, okay. So the episode begins with an old Testament. Um, you know, I love these, these times where we start with the old Testament uh, over, you know, uh, Old Testament reading, our first reading comes from the book of, of uh, you know, Genesis. And so we have, we don't know it's Jacob immediately, but we have Jacob. 
right? And the one thing I'm going to say, you know, obviously this is going to lead into Jacob's Well. And before we even have the jazzy intro, we go to modern day, um, still in the intro, right? But um, the one, few things I'm going to say about it. Number one, um, I love that line about, you know, wait a minute, you believe in an invisible God whose promises take generations. So just like this absurdity of the one true God in the eyes of people who are polytheistic, who have gods that don't like them. Um, you know, remember the chosen people are coming in and bringing this, this, it's not the fullness of revelation, but they're um, God's revealing himself to the chosen people. And it's quite different than the gods at the time. And so that's kind of, you know, highlighted. And then that great line, we didn't choose him, he chose us. Uh, kind of rounding out this first season to remind us that the chosen isn't just about Christ, but is about the chosen people and the chosen disciples, and now the church. So um, I think that intro really highlights that idea that the chosen are really the chosen people. And then those people that are going to carry out um, the mission of the chosen one Christ into the world. So I really love this. This is one of my face, favorite intros, I think. And then we have that immediate coming back to modern day uh, Samaria and we have Fotina at the well. And we're going to talk about Fotina in a little bit. But let's talk about Nicodemus. Um, so I think this first, you know, the first part looking at Nicodemus and his conversation with Zahada, his wife, I think he actually changed his mind. Um, you know, they ask him or she asks him about, you know, his address to, um, you know, it's kind of his last address before he goes home. And he said that he's going to speak off the cuff, right? He's, he hasn't prepared remarks. He's just going to speak. And um, if you notice, he changes his answer um, later. And he says, I've changed my mind. I am going to prepare my remarks. And I think that indicates now I could be wrong. I think that indicates that he's changed his mind and that now he um, he is going to stay. So he's he's changed his mind and he's going to say something different than he was originally. Now, I could be completely misreading that, uh, but Zahada lays it on really thick. And I mentioned this yesterday, but I think we have to really see her as a foil to Eden. And that really comes out in season seven or episode seven and now episode eight, that Zahada really is a foil for um, Eden where Eden's going to encourage Peter. Eden's the one that really pushes Peter and sees in Peter what Jesus sees in him. And uh, Zahada is the exact opposite. Um, she really lays it on thick that Nicodemus shouldn't give up what, everything that he has. And that's really what he's been struggling with, right? Since talking to Christ, am I supposed to give up who I am? And Zahara doesn't want that. And she basically says that outright, not even really knowing the struggle that Nicodemus is saying is having in his heart. She really lays it out there. Doesn't she? Um, and um, so I think Christina, yes. Do you think his off the cuffs remarks were going to be announcement of his resignation? I don't know, but I just think it's interesting that he changes um, his mind for some reason. They indicate that he changes his mind about just kind of speaking off the cuff to now he has he's going to prepare something. So I could be wrong about that, but that was like, hmm. um, the line I really love in their conversation is when she talks about the hard roads and he, um, you know, it's the Lord with him in the hard roads and Zincadim says, or does he call us to them? And that is really, I think, you know, it's one thing to say Christ is with us or God is with us in the hard times, 
but also realizing that sometimes it's not just that he's with us in the hard times, but that he calls us to these hard times. And I think that's a really poignant um, examination of conscience for us. All these lines really can be taken to prayer. I agree, Christina. I don't know whether I could have done it either. Um, this was really a radical um, decision on his part. And there's a lot that's not known. And I have a hard time with change and I have a hard time with the unknown. And so um, I think it would be really, really, really different. Um, really hard, really hard. Uh, Brandy, I think she was more concerned with what she had. Yeah. I mean, she doesn't want to lose what she has. She has a very comfortable life. Um, and just a very known life, like not even just like, oh, she's comfortable, but you know, she knows it's, it's not the unknown and the unknown is scary. Um, we talked about this yesterday. I intended to talk about it today, but we talked about it a little bit yesterday too. The juxtaposition between Nico and some of the other um, callings, you know, that that Nicodemus is kind of in the same place as Matthew, whereas he's leaving wealth and comfort. Um, but at the same time, he's in a different place than Matthew because Matthew doesn't have community and Matthew doesn't have family. And so, um, you know, would if we were Nicodemus, you know, I think Matthew and Peter and Mary, um, they leave a lot, but in some ways their call is a little easier than Nicodemus's. And um, I agree, Brandy, um, you know, we think we could, we think we would, but would we really do it? And I don't, I don't know. I don't know whether we would. Let's go to the dinner scene. I love this scene. Again, it's a very common um, you know, we've, we've read this scene again and again and again in, in scripture, but to see it, I think is really great. Um, we have our, our friends back, Barnaby and Shula. There's some tax collectors there and it's, it's offensive to the Pharisees because this is a, a scene of uncleanliness. So again, the Pharisees were separated. That's what it means, but they were separated in that not to be snobby, but to remain in, in a ritual state of cleanliness, basically. Like they didn't do things that would make them unclean. And they were really trying to preserve the Jewish way of life in a world that the secular pagan um, world was really threatening the Jewish life. And so they were really holding on um, to the Torah and holding on to a Jewish way of life. And so, um, you know, to put yourself in the shoes of those Pharisees, Jesus was doing something really strange and really controversial. And that kind of comes out, I think, in this scene. It was interesting. I was watching the round table. So in behind the scenes, there's a round table for many of the episodes where you can watch the writer, Dallas, speak with a Jewish rabbi who's um, a messianic Jew, Jew, a Protestant minister and a Catholic priest, and they dialogue about the episodes. And I haven't watched all the roundtables, but um, in this roundtable, the, the Protestant minister was commenting on the fact that he thinks Catholics do this better than non-Catholics. And what he meant was the idea that we are not afraid to kind of go out and socialize and, um, you know, go out and be with people that don't think like us, um, go out and be with kind of the rabble rousers, go out and drink at the pub with people. And he gave us a great compliment, I think, when he said that he thinks Catholics 
kind of do this better than sometimes our Protestant brothers and sisters, where we're willing to kind of rub elbows with the less savory types, be all things for all people in order to bring them to the gospel. And I think that's a really beautiful um, compliment. I just hope that we're also bringing them the gospel and that it's not just we like to go drink in bars. Um, but I know what he was saying. And I do think Catholics kind of sometimes are of the world in a better way, but make sure that we're not of the world in a not so great way. So that's kind of just a, a reminder to us that it's good to be in the world, but not of the world. So um, I guess that's what I meant that I, I think Catholics sometimes are in the world in a, in a really um, important way, but let's make sure we're not of the world um, and, and bringing that um, gospel, you know, not in a weird preachy way, but just making sure that we are a good um, disciple of our Lord in these, in these, in these circumstances. Um Yes, Matthew went to the open welcoming arms they offered people who accepted him without judgment. Absolutely, right? Like, although they're not accepting him with Jesus is accepting him without judgment. And if we've seen season two, we still a little controversy with who Matthew was and um, what what he's bringing to to the twelve. Um, and I think that's that's important to keep in mind that um, Matthew, in all these ways, was still seen as a traitor in a lot of ways. And we all have to kind of be purged of our our own um, preconceived notions, even the disciples. Simon and Eden. So, um, well, before we get to Eden, so I, that scene where the apostles are, you know, packing up camp and I love the, there's so many great lines in episode eight. Um, but I love when Jesus is teasing Simon and says, um, you know, you don't need to be the Messiah to read your mind, basically, right? Everyone knows what you're thinking, Simon. It doesn't take the Son of God to know what you're thinking. And um, that was one of those great, like, real, I think the disciples are very real in this episode, and in all the episodes, but in this episode, they're very real. Um, and Jesus just kind of gives it to them and teases them, and I love that. So I love when Jesus teases Simon. Um, Simon, let's face it, most people know what's going on in your mind. And um, that's just great character development. And really, that's again, it's just really real. But then this scene with um, Eden and Jesus, and I, lo I really love, it's one of my favorite scenes because Jesus, you know, first of all, he says something like we each saw in Simon, it unites us that we each saw in Simon, what maybe some other people didn't see. And um, so they have kind of that bond they also have the bond where they have to put up with Simon, right? Um, Jesus says that, you know, like it's hard enough to travel with Simon, much less a worried Simon. Again, just really real. But really the the poignant conversation that he has that, you know, you are, you are one flesh. And so whatever sacrifice Simon makes, Eden's going to have to make as well. So just remembering, um, he says, he cannot make sacrifices that are not also yours. You have a role to play in all of this. And so, you know, one of the most common questions I've gotten in this, um, you know, when I've watched The Chosen with people is, well, first of all, I didn't know Peter was married or I didn't know Peter's wife was alive. We don't know if Peter's wife, we know Peter was married at some point. That's how you get a mother-in-law. Um, we don't know if his wife was alive during his ministry. Um, but if she was, um, you know, I, we want to make sure that we don't think that Peter was asked to leave her or asked to divorce her by any means. And that's something that needs to sometimes be cleared up. Um, that Peter wasn't asked to, to put his wife away. 
That's not what Jesus would have asked. And we see it really clearly in the scene that she too is going to have a role to play. I can't wait to see what that role is. But I think we want to remember that, um, you know, we don't, we just kind of assume in this three years of public ministry that Peter never goes home. That's not necessarily the case. We've seen Peter in this first season come home several times. If you've ever been to the Holy Land, you know it's not this enormous country, right? And if you've ever been to the Sea of Galilee, you realize everything's on top of each other, right? So much of Jesus's public ministry was spent around the Sea of Galilee and Capernaum is not that far from the Mount of Beatitudes, is not that far from the site of the multiplication of the loaves and fishes. It's just across the, the, you know, the lake from even the pagan territories where Jesus performed some miracles. So it's likely that Peter wasn't at all abandoning Eden, that Eden wouldn't have been there during the public ministry. We also want to think about the fact that women followed Christ. And we see, we've see we seen this already with Mary Magdalene. That's something in The Chosen Dallas has revealed that people were uncomfortable with Mary being with the men. Like, would that have happened? Like, that's kind of scandalous that Mary's just hanging out with a bunch of dudes. Um, and we don't know what we know from the scriptures that women did follow Christ. Um, that's where we see Mary's name is in the list of women who followed Christ. What did that look like? You know, and um, there was a scene they added in, in the traveling scene where they're all, um, they've all stayed at someone's house on the road. And so they're like leaving the houses and Mary's hugging this random woman goodbye. And you realize, okay, they're on the road and they're not like, Mary's not camping outside with the boys because she would have been the only woman. So she's staying at this woman's house. So they added that in to kind of keep people like, okay, it's not scandalous. Um, next season, we'll see that they're making tents and that they're camping outside, but there's another woman um, with them, maybe more than one woman with them. So we don't know what it would have looked like. Um, we know that Jesus associating with women was scandalous at the time, was not the norm. So maybe Eden would have come with them eventually. We don't know. There's a lot we don't know. But um, we do know that Christ would never ask a husband to leave his vocation to marriage. And that's what I love about this scene is that he recognizes you are one flesh. And now Peter has to make the sacrifice. But that means Eden does too. And you have a role to play. And I love when he says, I see you. I see you. Um, sometimes you know, to be a woman in the church is a very isolating role, to be honest. And sometimes you feel like you actually don't have a place where you fit, because especially a single woman, because you're surrounded by men and you're surrounded, you know, you don't know where you fit, right, in church leadership. And so I just love, um, and I know a lot of women in ministry who've watched this um, really teared up at that moment when Jesus says that to Eden, because we can hear, see it in ourselves that Jesus sees us and that all of us have struggles. All of us wonder if Jesus sees us. And so we can hear him saying that to us as well. I see you um, just like he's going to see the Samaritan woman in a minute. So I don't want to dwell on this too much, but it was, it is probably my favorite scene. I love how she echoes again, like it's not our people's way. She said this to Peter um, you know, she said it to Simon earlier. It's not our people's way to have an easy life, but she's saying it to Jesus. And he says, nor will it continue to be. It's a good reminder for us in the church. We've never had it easy. Um, you know, we're not really living in unprecedented times. Um, we've never had it easy. Right. And so just to remember that Jesus is with us, there is the great, um, cure of me, of, of, Peter's mother-in-law, which we've all been waiting for, right? We know Ema's been sick. So we've been waiting since we, since she fell ill for Jesus to cure her. And actually the scene was exactly what I pictured. 
exactly what I've pictured when I've read the the gospels. Um, I don't know about you, but totally like her getting up being like, why is everyone looking at me? This isn't, I need to make you some food. And um, the goat cheese line was a little cheesy, no pun intended, but I really loved it. Um, so it just was such a natural scene. I think totally natural. I think I loved it. Um, so let's talk about the Samaritans. So I actually want to kind of sit here a little bit with the Samaritans. Um, if you have other scenes, we're going to now like just really hone into the Samaritans and the Samaritan woman. If you have other comments about other scenes, I know I've glossed over some stuff. Matthew and the dog Gaius. It was adorable when Gaius says, tells Matthew's parents, there are some that are moderately attached to your son or whatever. That was just really, really beautiful. Um, I just love that he kind of admits that he liked Matthew, but not, you know, doesn't get too committed to it. So if there are other scenes, please like throw them in the chat. Um, I would love to hear your, your thoughts about the other scenes. We're really now going to focus on the Samaritans and that final scene, because that's really the uh, meat of the episode. Um, I've been waiting all season. Yes, Christina, you've been asking about Peter's mother-in-law being cured this whole time. It's interesting. You thought it was a more public miracle. Yeah, it was very intimate, right? With just Eden and um, Peter and Andrew. And that's all we have in the gospel, right? Like he just goes to the, the house and cures her. Um, okay, so let's really talk about Samaria because I think we don't really understand the import of this in John's gospel because we don't actually really understand the animosity between the Samaritans and the Jews, which Dallas does a good job depicting um, for people who might not be familiar with it, especially in season two. So if you haven't seen season two yet, um, there's there's more to come with this idea of the Samaritans. But um, notice, um, you know, Jesus says, I think he even says, there's someone I need to see. I think he says that. I didn't rewatch it today. Um, this echoes the phrase in John's gospel, he had to pass through Samaria. So that's a phrase that we might just kind of gloss over in John 3. We, we, we just think, oh, yeah, he had to pass through Samaria because he had to go from Galilee to, to Jerusalem. He had to pass through to Samaria. To Jewish readers, they'd be like, no, he didn't. And Dallas depicts this really well, right? When there's that whole argument about, Jesus, where do you think you're going, right? Because Jews normally would cross the Jordan River, would go down through modern Jordan and come back across to Jerusalem. They wouldn't pass through Samaria. And so there's this whole discussion with the apostles, and it's an important one. It's so real, right? This whole thing. When he says, if there's going to be a question and answer session every time I do something that you don't understand or that you're not used to, fantastic line. Uh, want to put that on a t-shirt. Um, every teacher probably should put that on a t-shirt. So that's going to be frustrating for all of us, right? He's going to do a lot that you're not used to. That was fantastic. Um, Matthew, yes. Matthew reminded me of the voice on a GPS when you don't follow its directions. Matthew was really, everybody was really frazzled. Why? Because Jews don't pass through Samaria. And yet that's exactly what Jesus had to do. So John, with just saying he had to pass through Samaria, is depicting this whole scene, right? You don't have to go through Samaria, but Jesus did. Why? Because he needed to meet this woman. Um, there's another reference to Simon being a terrible runner, which is funny. That might've been earlier, but I'm like, poor Simon really piling it on him. Okay. So John's Jewish listeners would have scratched their head, right? He didn't have to pass through Samaria. The need was not dictated by geography. The need was dictated by mission, 
right? The need to pass through Samaria is not dictated by geography. The need is dictated by mission. So Jesus had come to bring all of us, all humanity into God's family. And of course he begins first by the chosen people, but it wasn't just the chosen people. It was also the, the Samaritans, right? They're part of the family too. So who are the Samaritans? Before I say who the Samaritans are, I'm going to respond to Jill. Would Jesus have told them they were being annoying? That didn't really ring true to me. See, I just thought it was funny. Um, maybe he wouldn't have, but I think it's, it's, it's kind of a reminder to us that Jesus is doing a lot of things that were unfamiliar. Um, that, you know, I think it was just a good reminder that this wasn't the norm and that he was going to be doing a lot of things that weren't the norm and they were going to have to get used to that. So yeah, he might not have, but um, yes, Sam. Yes. So we talked about that earlier. There's an earlier episode where Andrew makes fun of Simon's running as well. And so we agreed that it was a foreshadowing for the resurrection when John beats Simon to the tomb. So all these little hat tips, it's good to see you, Sam. That's exciting that Sam's here. So, so the Samaritans were part of God's family. And so and Jesus's mission was to bring the whole family back together, right? That's the, that's what the mission is. Like in, in the simplest terms, Jesus's mission is to bring the family back together. What family? God's family. God's family that was fractured by, in the garden and continued to be fractured through the Old Testament. He wants to bring the family back together. First, the chosen people, but then everyone, right? He wants to bring everyone back together. So who are the Samaritans? So the Jews and the Samaritans, enmity runs deep with these people. Um, it goes back centuries. So if you read the second book of Kings, you read about Assyria taking um, the northern kingdoms into bondage. And what they would do is they would take the, so the northern kingdom is unfaithful. If you read second Kings, it's just like infidelity, 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 infidelity. And, oh, kind of okay, King, that isn't terrible, but guess what? He's still unfaithful. Infidelity, infidelity. So the Assyrians take the northern kingdoms into bondage. And what do they do? They deport them. And then they bring other people in to settle the land. And so there are some Israelites that remain in the Northern Kingdom, but they assimilate with these pagans. And then there's intermarriage. And what happens with intermarriage? But then there's intermarriage and adoption of pagan gods. And so there's this weird intermix of people up there that they keep the Torah and they remain Jewish, but they have attachment to other gods. And if you read 2 Kings 17, you'll see there's five other gods that they adopt. So they adopt these other gods, these pagan gods, but kind of still remain Jewish, which is kind of weird, right? So there becomes, then there's a group that eventually comes into Samaria and decides like, no, we want to be committed to the Torah. So they, they recommit themselves to the Torah. They build a temple on Mount Gerizim. They accept practices. So they think, okay, we're going to be faithful to Moses. We're going to be faithful to Mount Sinai. So they build the temple on Mount Gerizim. They worship on Mount Gerizim, which is depicted there in the Chosen. There's a big mountain. There's a big hill in the middle of the town. They worship there and they keep the Mosaic covenant, but not the Davidic covenant. So what does that mean? They don't worship in Jerusalem, right? They reject the Davidic writings like Psalms and Proverbs. They reject worship in the temple, but they are living kind of this Jewish life. Um, and so these people are the Samaritans and they held that they were the true descendants of Abraham and that they are correctly interpreting the law and they're not like those heretics down south. So Jews and Samaritans do not associate. They avoid traveling together. Um, the author of Sirach in Sirach 50 says his heart loathes 
the foolish people who live in Shechem, which is the main city of Samaria, he says they're not even a nation. The Mishnah, which is a collection of oral tradition from the rabbis, says he who eats the bread of Samaritans is like he who eats the flesh of swine. What's that mean? That's bad people, right? Pigs equal bad. Pigs equal unclean, right? So if you eat the bread of Samaritans, you are unclean. You are like eating the flesh of swine. So you're like, oh yeah, these people don't like each other. No, it's much worse than that. These are bitter, bitter, bitter enemies, right? In the first century, relations were at an all-time low. A Jew Jewish ruler de destroyed the Samaritan house of worship, which actually Jesus references in The Chosen. Dallas did a good job kind of trying to set this stage up for us a little bit. There's numerous violent confrontations between the groups. Um, Josephus, a historian who we mentioned earlier because he's from Magdala, he actually describes a massacre of Jews from Galilee that were passing through Samaria on their way to Jerusalem. And the Samaritans just massacred them. Okay. You see why the apostles are a little concerned. And then subsequently the Jews were attacking Samaritans. So this is all there in the first century. So John says in his gospel, right? Jews use nothing in common with Samaritans. That's a nice translation. Your translation probably said, might say something like Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. They hated each other. Okay. We can't, we can't, we have to emphasize this because we don't understand it. These people hated each other, right? Um, Amy Jolivine, who I've mentioned before, she's a Jewish scholar, but she's a Jewish scholar of the New Testament. She says it would be helpful to put these two groups in modern context. And so I'm going to do this for you, especially right now. This is fitting, right? So she's talking about the parable of the Good Samaritan. And she was like, that's not really shocking for us because we don't understand the relations between the Jews and the Samaritans. But she says, quote, to hear the parable today, we have to update the identity of the figures. I am an Israeli Jew on my way from Jerusalem to Jericho and I'm attacked. The person who takes compassion on me and shows me mercy is a Palestinian Muslim whose sympathies lie with Hamas. This is a Jewish scholar trying to help us understand how much the Samaritans and the Jews did not get along. Okay, so that hopefully puts some background for what Jesus is doing here. So let's step back. Jesus wants to encounter this woman. And I think Dallas does a beautiful job in making that clear by the way Jesus looks at that well, right? So he looks up the hill at the well. They're going to go get food, which that seems hilarious because it's actually straight from straight from scripture when they come back and they're come, they come back with food. And Jesus is like, I have food. And they're like, where'd you get food? hilarious. I mean, I laughed out loud, but it's almost verbatim from scripture where Jesus is like, I have food of which you don't know. And they're like, where'd you get food? How'd you get food? Poor apostles are very confused. And I would be confused too. It's like, wait a minute. How'd you get food? We just bought you food. Anyway, that's after the encounter with the woman at the well. It's hilarious. It's straight from scripture people. So Jesus is wanting to meet this woman. And again, I think Dallas depicts this very well. He's going here to meet her. Remember, they have to pass through Samaria, not geographically, but Jesus's mission dictates it. And interestingly enough, so we all know the story, right? It's, I think, beautifully depicted. Fotina, I think, is beautifully um, represented. The actress did a beautiful job. I think this scene actually was a little rushed. Um, I think her conversion and her acceptance of him as the Messiah is a little bit rushed. 
I would have liked to see it drawn out a little more. Um, I know the episode was getting on an hour. And so maybe that's partly why we rushed through it. But I think it was a little rushed. But I, I thought it was very beautiful. Fotina, actually. And this was one of the times where I just like, I think I literally like fist pumped Dallas in the air. Fotina is a saint in the Orthodox Church. So the Samaritan woman that we know from John 3 is revered as a saint in, in, in the church, but especially in the Greek Orthodox Church and the Russian Orthodox Church. And her name, tradition tells us, is Fotina. So I had no expectation that her name was going to be Fotina in this. No expectation that Dallas was going to name her Fotina. And it was fantastic. When I heard her little old crotchety husband call her Fotina, I was like, thank you, Dallas. You did your homework. So Jesus speaks to Fotina, and I love the way that that is, right? I love his love, his mercy. You're, um, you're right, Christina. I love how the actress does a good job with her reactions to what Jesus said is sounding like crazy talk, right? She's like, who are you? Why are you asking me for water? It was, it was beautifully depicted. Um, and, but I love, okay, so one thing I want to pull out before we kind of really talk about the chosen is in John 3, Jesus isn't just speaking to Fotina, He's not just speaking to the woman at the well. He's speaking to Samaria. And why do I say this? Because remember when I mentioned that the Samaritans had adopted these other gods? They adopted five other gods, and you can see them listed in 2 Kings 17. And the prophets denounced them for serving these other gods. They denounced them, and they called them Baals. Now, Baals, B-A-A-L, Baal, um, or Baal, if you're in the South, um, Baal was a type of deity, right? He was a God, a particular God, but he's also used that words used to refer to foreign gods in general. Now, interestingly enough, the Hebrew word Baal is also one of the words used for husband. And so Samaria, but Samaria in their infidelity betrays the covenant, strays from the covenant, and worships five Baals, five lords, five false gods. The prophets equate this with, with adultery, right? Idolatry in the prophet's writing is adultery because you're betraying the covenant. You're betraying what ultimately is going to be the wedding feast of the lamb, right? That's why we talk about the bridegroom because the covenant is God's desire to wed his people, to expand his family. And so when Jesus says, you don't have one husband, you have five husbands, he's not just speaking to Fotina. He's speaking to the Samaritans. You have five Baals, but I am your Baal. I am your Lord. I am your husband. So it's a really rich, rich scene where the Lord is waiting by this well as the new bridegroom, right? God is the bridegroom. God wants to wed himself to his people, Israel. We've seen him as the bridegroom in the wedding feast, and he's depicted here as the bridegroom. Why? Because he's sitting by the well. Um, if you read the Old Testament, wells are like match.com in the Old Testament. For those of you doing Bible in a year with Father Mike Schmitz, you've seen the patriarchs. Where do they meet their wives? At wells. And here we have Fotina representing all of Samaria being welcomed back into the marriage by the one true bridegroom, the Lord. 
It's a, a beautifully moving scene because this is where Jesus makes in the Gospels his first I am statement. There are several I am statements um, in the Gospels, but this is the first time that Jesus says I am. And it's interesting. He's not saying it publicly. He's not saying it to scholars of the law. He's not saying it to a crowd. He's saying it to a woman, to a woman. He's saying it to a Samaritan woman. And he's saying it to a woman who herself has been rejected. He knows she's searching for love. He knows she's searching for meaning. He knows she's searching. And he's here to answer that search because he is really the one she's searching for because she's searching for love. And so this is one of my favorite, favorite scripture stories. Again, I did one of my sessions in my Bible studies, which I, I promised every day that I was going to bring a copy and hold it up. Um, did I forget? Yes. Um, but one of the sessions in my Bible studies on the Samaritan woman. Why? Because this is such a beautiful, multifaceted story of God's love for a woman and for a nation and for a people and for you and me that he's, he's waiting for us at the well. He wants to answer our greatest needs. He wants to answer our greatest desires. And he's the only one that can fill us. He's the only one that can satiate us. Um, Bill, I agree. He said they did a nice job in a rush by adding the descriptions of her husband, much more personal. And, um, and that's what I think. So, you know, scripture can, is only going to show us so much, right? And John tells us this, right? I can't write everything that, that Jesus said or did. Books wouldn't fit in the world. And so I think we also have to realize when we're reading the gospels that there's a lot more to these conversations. And I agree, Bill, I love that he went into detail with her husbands. There's no way he would have known these stories. There's no way he could have read her heart unless he was the son of God. And so I agree. I think they did a really, really beautiful job with that. Um, yes, the I am statement, um, Jackie says, I found it, you know, powerful. So this encounter with Jesus changes her, right? Um, there had to have been something happening in her heart for her reaction to be what it is, right? That the encounter with him changes everything. And notice she leaves her jar behind. Um, they're so faithful to the gospel story in this depiction. She leaves her jar behind. That's mentioned in the gospel. And the apostles were like, wait, you left your jar. But what's that show us is that she's left her past behind. She's left her cares behind. She's left her old self behind. You know, they did a great job showing why was she at the well at noon? John specifically says she was at the well at noon. Why? She couldn't come in the morning. She couldn't, she couldn't come at night. She didn't want to be seen. She didn't want to be associated with. Nobody would associate with her. And so she leaves everything behind and joyfully runs, right? She's no longer defined by her past. She has a future. She's been transformed. It's beautiful. John actually tells us in John, um, have I been saying John 3? This is John 4. Um, this whole chapter is John 4. So ignore anything I said about John 3. Um, in John 4, 39, the, the gospel writer actually tells us that the town believed because of her witness. And I don't know about you, but I found that really powerful that, that the town would believe based on the witness of this woman they're rejecting. They've just rejected her. And now they believe on her witness. Um, so John four tells us initially they believe because of her witness and then they believe because they've seen, right. Um, but they believe initially on, because of her witness. What does that tell us? Yes, she's giddy, right? Wendy says she's giddy. Bill says she took the living water with her, right? She could leave that thing behind because she had the living water in Jesus Christ. We talked about the living water. When was that? Yesterday when we talked about the mikvah. Um, 
They wouldn't even look at her, right? They wouldn't even look at her. And then now she's a joyful witness. She's telling what she's seen and heard and their lives are changed because of her witness. So we end the scene, we end the season really, I think on this huge high note, you know, Peter's like, let's go, right? Peter's now pumped because Jesus is revealing himself. Um, oh, Peter, we have like six more seasons to go, right? Um, we know that we're, this is only the beginning of the story. We're only in the fourth chapter of John, Peter. We have a lot ahead of us. You're not even Peter yet. You're still Simon. So um, so we end the, the first season on this really high note, but this also indication that there's going to be some trouble to come, right? Jesus is going to bring trouble. And um, we end with kind of this, this foreshadowing that this isn't just going to be fun and games, Simon. We're about to change the world. So if we have a few, I know we've gone over our 30 minutes, but I was expecting it because this is a packed episode. Um, Christina says she loves the ending. I laughed out loud at the closing scene. I would love if you want to put in the chat, you know, your thoughts on this episode, your thoughts on the entire season, maybe who is your favorite character, what surprised you, what disappointed you, you know, anything that you want to say, any questions you might have as we wrap up. Um, again, this was season one. We're going to do this again at the end of season two, but I'm going to wait for season two to play out um, so that we can kind of do it in succession like we did this. So if you, um, you can catch up to season two now if you want uh, episode five is going to be this Sunday, but I think it'll be easier since they're halfway through season two to wait until season two is completely done. So um, again, I'd love to hear your thoughts. If you have thoughts, if you're watching this archived, go ahead and put your thoughts in the comments because I do go back and read the comments. I am going to, you know, unless you, I'm going to wait to see if you guys say anything. Um, but I do want to say up at the top is again, my link to my newsletter. I just wrote a new newsletter today. Um, so if you don't subscribe, you can subscribe there. Um, my newsletter is free and it kind of keeps you up to date with things like this. And then I also have a link to my Patreon. So if you um, are interested in more things like this, if you're interested in me being able to produce more things like this and much bigger than this, I'm going to need your help. And so my Patreon um, helps me put on future projects. And also my Patreon for certain tiers gives you access to an exclusive live conversation, uh, live Bible study. And so we'll be having our first one at the end of the month. So for certain patrons, you will get to participate in the Bible study and certain patrons get to dictate what our next study is going to be. So when we do see chosen season two, that will be for everyone. It'll be just like this. It'll be open to anyone. But if you're interested in kind of more, a more exclusive, intimate study, um, that's available to patrons. Yes, Wendy, the next episode for season two drops on Sunday. Um, Christina, I did think I heard sort of a Protestant bet in Jesus's explanation about not needing the temple, just the spirit. You know, I think that's a very, I did too. Like I had my big guard up, you know, during all of this, but that's actually straight from scripture that Jesus says, you know, there will be a time when we don't worship on either Mount Gerizim or Jerusalem, but we worship in spirit and truth. And while I think the Protestants, like we could interpret it as just like, oh, just go be spiritual, go pray in your room. Um, I think there's also this indication that, you know, we no longer are making pilgrimages to Jerusalem in the temple. We are no longer sacrificing in the temple because the temple is Christ's body. And so we're able to sacrifice, right? We're able to become priests in our everyday life, sacrifice in spirit, 
sacrifice our daily desires, sacrifice our daily wants on the on the altar of our Lord, and then take those sacrifices to mass all throughout the world and unite them with the perfect sacrifice at the hands of the priest um, when Christ is is re presented when Calvary Calvary is represented and Christ appears on the altar for us under the appearance of bread and wine. So um, I think there could be a way that that, you know, like, oh, well, that, you know, that could be interpreted that, oh, we don't need to set worship in a building. But I think what Christ is really saying is that we're not going to worship just in Jerusalem anymore, but that we're going to worship all throughout the world, um, uniting ourselves to that perfect sacrifice of the cross. Um, Bill's favorite line in the well scene was, I know Jacob and the peaceful expression the actor had in delivering that. Yes. Um, there's lots of little hints that, um, you know, when Jesus knows something or knows someone, um, I think Jonathan does a fantastic job in kind of radiating that peace of Christ. He really radiates um, a peace and a joy that we want to, I'd want to be his friend. Like I want, like I said yesterday, I want Jesus to cook dinner with me. I want to be his friend, but just that understanding and that love. I know Jacob, right? We go way back. Um, okay. Yes. Christina. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Um, were Matthew's parents at Zebedee's house when the paraplegic was healed? I don't know. Actually, you'd think after watching it eight times, I would notice um, you know, his dad looked for, I was thinking, have we seen his dad before? Um, they weren't inside the house, but were they in the crowd? I don't know. That'd be a good thing to look out for that. Were they, I mean, it seems like they would have been because it was like the whole town was there, but I can't recall whether I saw Alpheus in, in that crowd. So that might be something I need to watch on the ninth watch. Um, Jackie, I'm not sure where this, but it stuck with me. I deserve mercy more than sacrifice. Christ repeats that a lot. He's He says it, you know, here in Matthew's home. Um, you we're also going to find it in the book of Hebrews. And it goes back again, and we've talked about this, I think, before in an earlier episode, to that that thought that, you know, there's nothing... There's, there's nothing wrong with the Pharisees wanting to hold on to ritual purity in the sense that God made these laws and it's good to be obedient to the laws of God. I mean, we talked a lot about it in the second episode with the Sabbath. There's nothing wrong with the Sabbath, right? God gave us the Sabbath for a reason. And those people who broke the Sabbath were punished. The nation of Israel was punished for breaking the Sabbath. But Christ really calls out during his public ministry, are you just going through the motions? Are you just going through the ritual um, I desire mercy. You know, like, do we have mercy on our brother and sister on the way to our Sabbath? Right. So as we're walking to the synagogue on the Sabbath and we don't help our brother and sister, how are we keeping the Sabbath? You know, and so that whole idea of our minds being united to um, our actions, our hearts being united to our actions. Um, yes, Christina. OK, this actually might be. Christina, I was contemplating the crucifix after mass and it occurred to me that following the series will make the crucifixion scenes very difficult to watch. Um, so I have thought about this a lot, most especially during the passion on Good Friday. Um, and I think we mentioned this before. Now we hear the names of Philip and James and they have faces to us. They've become friends and Jesus has become a friend. And I think um, I was I was thinking about this during Holy Week and the reading of the Passion. That up until now, I felt very very apart from the Jesus of Jesus of Nazareth. For example, he was a character; he wasn't a friend. I didn't um, I didn't see him as Jesus. 
and even in the passion, you know, we start in the garden of Gethsemane. And so there's, there's this, there's this kind of almost detachment that I'm watching something happen, but I'm not participating in it. Even though the passion I find very difficult to watch. Um, I think this is going to be the hardest of all to watch. And Dallas has insinuated that season six, I think, or season seven is going to be a difficult season. Why? Because we've fallen in love with Jesus. Um, it's going to be really hard. I mean, I, I almost get tears just thinking about watching Peter deny Christ. Um, that's going to be really hard to watch Peter deny him. Um, at, it's, it's going to be really hard to watch the apostles flee. It's going to be hard to watch Mary go through the passion. Why? Because we've gotten to know these people. Um, and isn't that the point, right? And isn't that what our prayer should be? it should be this examination of conscience that Jesus isn't just a character in a movie, but that my sins did that as well. And he's my friend and I betray my friend as well. And so absolutely. I think um, those seasons, that season's going to be very difficult because of the character development and because we've gotten to know, I mean, you can't, you just see it. Can't you just see the pain of Simon when he betrays his, his Lord after all of this, right? He said, he's going to fight. He said, he's going to go to the ends of the earth and Jesus knows he's not, you know, Jesus knows he's not. Um, Jesus seems more personal. Yes. Isn't that from the Psalms or somewhere? Yes. So I've been talking so much, uh, Bill and my mom answered her own question. So Hosea 6, 6. Um, so Christina, it has to be season seven if we're going to be biblical. I think he's changed his answer because at the beginning, I think he said seven seasons. Now I'm wondering if season six is going to be the passion and season seven is going to be Acts of the Apostles. I'm not entirely sure. Um, but you're right. Seven is, is the perfect number. So, um, Jackie, the analysis of the crucifixion was brutal. Mountain posted a clip of someone describing it. Good Friday. Yes. Um, it is really brutal and it's going to be, oh, my mom says five season five is going to be the passion. Um, so maybe we're doing it faster. I was wondering if we're doing a season a year, Jesus is going to get kind of old before we're done with this, but, um, okay. I think we're going to wrap up. Um, but thank you all for joining us again. We are going to do season two eventually. So stay tuned. If you aren't subscribed to my YouTube channel, do that because you'll get little notifications when we do something new. If you aren't subscribed to Substack, do that because that's where I'll announce when we're going to do it again. If you have Instagram, joan.m.watson is a great way place to follow me. And um, my Patreon is linked above. If you want me to do more things like this, um, you know, I'm going to be shameless and say, I need your help and I need your support in order to do more projects like this one. Um, you know, you see me for a half an hour every day, but I've put about two to two and a half hours in preparing all of this. Um, whether it's watch, rewatching the episodes, writing notes, researching. So it's a lot of work and that's why I'm going to need a little break before we do season two. Um, and so I appreciate all the support you can give me so that I can continue to do this research and to bring this to you. So what are you going to do with your afternoons now? Yes. Um, oh, good. Good. Thanks, Bill. Bill and Valerie. Um, so yes, I mentioned it in the email and I'd mentioned it on Instagram before. So I'm glad that you, you joined it. I'm glad you love the series. I'm just in love with it. So um, yes, you can go back and catch up. Um, and most of them are shorter than this. So this has been our longest one yet. So you can catch up. But thank you all for joining me. And I hope to see you all even just virtually in the chat soon. So God bless.